Welcome to the 201st episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Tamar, Tim Morrill, and Dre Babinski. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. 201, baby. Not so bad. Not so bad. Yeah. I was talking to Avi today. He was our first guest we ever had. Guest number one. He's like, when am I coming back on, Oren? But he was on the second episode. And by the way, our patron Tamar is is Tamar Shani. Tamar Shani. I'm just saying that because she's an actress. And since we name our patrons on the podcast, I feel like if you're an actor, then you probably want your full name out there. So people might look you up or something. I don't know. Probably. Well, That's it. shout out to Tamar. Today we've got an episode filled with listener questions. We've got a backlog of great questions. So we thought we'd jump in on some of those and uh, just have a, a classic Matt and Oren episode. But before we get into our listener questions... Oren, I've been dying to know, what have you been working on lately? Lately? Yeah. That's a great question, Matt. I've been working on a lot and a little. <laughs> it's funny because I'm working on this passion project and Kara's like, you better tell your freaking podcast listeners that you're actually working on your own passion project because uh, people have given me a little bit of a hard time because every year I'm like, I'm going to make a short proof of concept uh, film That's true. and then I'm going to... Yeah, and I never do it because I'm just like, oh, here's a job that pays. Uh, I'm not going to make my passion project. But I actually, in December, I'm, did I talk about this on the podcast yet? That my friend Julie and I, we made the scripted podcast. We recorded a bunch of actors. It's like a YA mystery thriller. We have a producer on board that's repped at ICM, and we have like a deck and a pitch and we and a script, and we told people about it, and they're like, sounds really cool. We want to hear what it sounds like. And because it's a podcast, we can pretty much just make it for free. So we cast a bunch of actors that we know. You can just shoot it. Yeah, you can just record it because Matt and I already invested the money in these freaking microphones. But yeah, so we had uh, we had a bunch of actors come over to my house, mostly people I know, but I needed actually like a really young actress for the lead. And so a couple I, just shoot it fans as well, Oren. You're leaving out. We do have some just shoot it fans that are on the podcast. And two of them came yesterday. And, but I, but we knew them as actors outside of Just Shoot It. Sure. Also. Sure, sure. But yeah, most of my friends are fans of Just Shoot It. Most of Matt's friends have never heard of Just Shoot It. And I don't it know why. Funny. I don't, I don't <laughs> know why either. And Matt's the one that went to film school, you know, yeah, and is like lives in this film environment. And I'm just yeah. like with the real people. Yeah. And maybe that's it. They're just like, ugh. And like, <laughs> yeah. So I've been hearing them talk about movies for 15 years. We don't, need, right. we don't need it in our cars or while we're working out as well. I guess. So. Um, you don't have friends that work out. Come on. <laughs> That's true. Anyway, so we recorded everyone. We did a couple days in December. We edited it. We had some people listen. We got a bunch of notes. We rewrote the script. And pretty much the second half of the, the podcast, it was like awesome. Everyone's like kind of riveted by it. The first half setting up this whole world is, you know, a lot of everyone knows pilots are just hard because you're trying to like kind of show what a sample episode feels like while introducing all these characters and the tone and the world and not make it feel like you're teaching everyone like just a bunch of well um, as you know as you'll remember from the last few times (laughs) yes as you'll remember i am the principal of this high school (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah our relationships are x y and z and our backstory is this right well so in a podcast think about it like it's even harder because the only thing you have to tell the story is like the sound effects, the music, the ambience, and the dialogue, but you don't have visuals. So in any sort of action scene, you hear like a door sl- be slammed open or something, but you're like, ah, who are you? Why are you in my house? Like, why are the cops here? You know, like a lot of things that you say that you wouldn't have to say if you were filming it because you would see the cops are there, right? Well, but- and to be fair to yourself, I think that in movies, there's a lot more verbalization of like the cops are here we got to get out of here run run that way this way all that stuff people are saying in movies and you wouldn't really say most of that stuff right um, but but you see like these kind of artsy like well really well-made films and you're like wow them you know they didn't have to say anything you just watched 1917 today right yeah sure no one was like like, go down that trench friend so the germans are fighting the british yeah. And you don't have any sort of narration or anything. Right. But anyway, so we brought in more actors yesterday. That was day three. And we have one more day to pick up some more lines. But I don't know. It's really fun. People just come to my house. 
we, you know, have some tea or coffee and we just start recording. And yesterday we did actually a scene with three actors in it where one actor is like walking in and catching these other two actors and yelling at them. And we just kind of did it in the room and we recorded it. But part of the idea is that the actor that's yelling at them is a little bit far away from the microphone. Mm -hmm, Like off mic and stuff. Yeah. I love that stuff. Yeah. So it was cool. We had like a real scene going on in in, uh, my dining room, um, which is my dining room is a gym. It's a, it's a high school. It's like a car. It's every location. Anyhow. So I've been doing that. Uh, and then I have a shoot coming up on Saturday. And then also I'm pitching on a TV show, which is pretty crazy to, to yeah, direct man. the pilot. And it's uh, it's nerve wracking because <laughs> you want to like nail the tone and it's for a specific network that has a very specific tone and you want to nail that tone, but you also want to bring something new that convinces them that you're the person that should be doing this. Because, you know, I think they're out to like probably... Six to eight directors is what my manager said. So, yeah. So, I'm just kind of putting together a lookbook and uh, I have kind of like my thoughts on it and prepared statement and I'm going to do some writing and I might do a ripomatic. I'm not sure. But I actually emailed Sarah Dina Smith, one of our previous guests who directed the pilot for Hannah on Amazon. And I asked her, I was like, hey, what did you... And we, she had never directed a pilot before that. And we, she had told us that she fought really hard for the job. So I was like, what did you do? How, what, like, what does fighting really hard mean? What, yeah, yeah. What'd she say? She said, I can actually read you the whole email because it was one sentence. <laughs> and she's like, I'm not going to give you my secrets. No, what she really said is, forgive my short answer. I'm in Budapest prepping this crazy film. But I put together a lookbook, a playlist, and a verbal pitch. But I had a bunch of meetings, like at least three or four meetings. So there yeah. you go. So I, I, yeah. I was like, yeah, that's what I'm, I'm not going to have the playlist, but I'm going to have, I think a different element that, that adds to mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, cool, man. But for a well, second I was like going crazy. I was like, should I work with a storyboard artist and like kind of board some of the scenes and really show my vision. But I was like, I don't know if that's the best use of my time. Yeah. You also don't want it to be sweaty, you know, like right. you want it to be like, it's a real, it's a very fine line between like, Desperate, uh, the di- yeah. The, well, yeah. I, I feel like in Austin, I heard someone on a panel say the difference between hungry and thirsty. They want hungry. <laughs> oh, yeah. They don't want thirsty. Right. Well, that's the thing, too. It's like I never want to show someone something just because I made it. Like, I don't want to be like, look at all the work I did. That's why you should hire me because I will do a lot of work. I want to say, like, hey, look at this thought, all this thought I put into this, mm-hmm. you know? And this and is- it was sort of easy because I'm brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Do you know sure. do you know the the term sprezzatura? It's an Italian no. term for like making it look easy. Oh, that's a great term. I'd yeah. love to learn how to spell it one day. Yeah. I I Apparently you learned too, more so. on our Italian trip than I did. <laughs> Anyhow, that's all I got to say. What have you been working on lately? Um, I'm in the middle of this movie. It's uh, pretty Away full We Go. Throttle. No. Uh, uh New Year's uh, lands between Christmas. See you on New Year's. What are you doing this? What are you doing New Year's? What are you doing New Year's? Got it. You, you, got, you got it eventually. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's uh, the movie I'm working on. You know, it's it's like true indie filmmaking. You know, like we're shooting a lot of it in our apartment. We've got kind of a high pressure situation this coming weekend where we've got some high end talent and you know, just kind of ironing things out, but it's, it's rolling pretty well right now. So it's been, um, it's been really fun. And I think because we invested so much time in the prep that now we're just kind of like executing on everything. And so I'm much more grounded and happy than I was leading up to the shoot. Basically. Cool. Is everything shot listed? Yeah, basically, um, Chrissy and the DP take it week by week. Um, but yeah, pretty thoroughly shot listed. Cool. And it's a single camera, right? Single camera. Yeah. Cool. 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 Yeah. Cool. 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 And, and I haven't you... missed having a second camera, to be honest. Most of the time, I'm grateful that we only have one. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things, you know, single camera is really the best way to shoot a movie. But then <laughs> in the editing room, <laughs> a second camera is really the best way to shoot a movie. Right, um, right, but it's it's hard, and especially like in commercials, so many 
commercials have people looking into the camera and saying something, that the second camera becomes like completely useless at that point. Yeah. Yeah. You're just like sniping off kind of bad inserts. Yeah. And how is the, like, is there a lot of camera movement? Like a lot of kind of complicated blocking, like it's close up, turns into a wide shot, pans uh, over you here. You know, it's, there's, there's a decent amount of that, but it's all kind of built in tableaus. Like one of the big reference points is four weddings and a funeral. And like that movie does such a good job of just kind of like, like loose oneers that are like, you know, 15 second, 20 second, 30 second scenes of just like a quick little exchange and a joke. Um, and they're so evocative and fun and funny that I think that a lot of the movie is going to feel like that. And then, you know, you get into some scene work where you're into shot reverse shot, but a lot of it is really much more tableaus, which has been really fun and helpful and makes things achievable, basically. Cool. Did you see A Marriage Story? Yeah, I'm obsessed with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a really simply shot movie, I think, but they do some cool just framing and montaging and like the rhythm of the editing is mm-hmm. is really interesting and if anyone is interested in that movie Noah Baumbach the writer director was on script notes the podcast talking about how he wrote it why he wrote it and how he shot it and it's kind of interesting also our pal uh, Michael who does lessons from a screenplay did a, a video essay for Netflix about the intro sequence that's really worth a watch as well. oh I didn't know that. I'm going to check that out. There you go. There goes my endorsement for today. (laughs) Let's jump into it, man. Okay, so our first question is from Elijah. Here it is. Hey, Matt. Hey, Oren. Huge fan of the show. My name is Elijah, and I live in Los Angeles. I graduated from college in 2016, and all throughout college, I was heavily involved with making movies. I did a lot of class projects, which led me to PA gigs which led me to writing and directing a ton of short films on my own or with fellow classmates. I really felt like I had momentum going for me, and then I graduated. I got lazy, depressed, bills piled up, and now there's a big gap in my film resume from 2016 to now. My question is, how do I overcome this gap in my resume? Do I have to start from the bottom again with PAing, or can I still use my old credits to book gigs? If I were to look for jobs with, like, smaller production companies, whether in office or on sets or whatever, can I still use my resume, or is it basically worthless? I know that's a lot of questions, but it really boils down to how valuable is a film resume, if at all. Uh, Anyways, thanks for the help. Okay, cool. So this question from Elijah, first of all, I just want to say this is a perfect example of a great voicemail. I feel like Elijah almost performed his his question into our voicemail, and it listening to it i'm like we don't even need to edit this down it just sounds so great and it's a compact question and it's really clear so good job elijah yeah thanks elijah <laughs> if your well filmmaking done. career goes into the dumps you can still be a voicemail lever you professionally <laughs> so what do you think elijah wants to know if film resumes count for anything do they Matt? i think that they barely do and i think it depends on what sort of world do you want to live in? I think if you're in the studio world, if you're like making television or something like that, I think, yeah, resume does have some pertinence, but I think ultimately it's about referrals and about connections basically. Even for a PA gig. Even for a PA gig. Yeah. I mean, you have to be able to be like, yes, I've worked as a PA on X, Y, and Z, or I went to this college or things like that. But like how long ago that was, is less pertinent. I guess if you're like on the older side, you know, PAs tend to be pretty young because, you know, it takes a while and you once you stick it out, you know, eventually you get promoted and things. And so there might be a little bit of a question mark if you were kind of on the older side and you were like, "Hey, I'm I'm I want to be a PA because maybe you've transitioned in from to a different career from where where you started or something like that." But for the most part, I think it's just like who referred you is kind of what it, it tends to boil down to, especially on those entry level pieces. So like what college you went to, or if you worked on a show with somebody else and they referred you, that tends to be how it works. I updated my resume just like today. And mm. uh, I know, and I was like, just cause I was like thinking about like, you know, opening up some options and stuff like that. And I looked at the last time I'd updated it and it was like 2016, 2017, maybe. Okay. 
Like I hadn't, I was like, oh, there's a lot of stuff that's not on here at all. Do you ever send out resumes, Oren? Honestly, I'm going to search my computer right now to see if I even if you have, have one. a resume. Yeah. yeah, no, just maybe on my old website. I have like a bio. So I think that's something that in film, especially like on the filmmaking side, a bio is really important. And it's kind of like the highlights of your resume, right? Right. Well, and that's why IMDb is is so important as well. Right. Because IMDb know, is your IMDb credits page. list. Right. right. And then your bio is like, hey, I'm Matt. I'm a filmmaker. You know, that went to you. I'm a commercial director. Things. And yeah. yeah. And it's like your cover creator. letter, basically. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned what college you went to. You mentioned, oh, I made Squaresville. We won these awards. You know, it went on for three seasons. We did this. It was voted one of these things. It got 50 million views. And you could do that in resume form, right? You can have a list of like your 12 short films and put little asterisks like these three went to the, you know, this film festival. Uh, or won this award, but I feel like it's easier to read like a bio and and you can even get a little bit of your voice and personality into it. And I think Elijah, just even from listening to your voicemail, I feel like you have a, a voice and like a personality. And so I don't know, my advice to you is sure have the resume in your back pocket, but you could kind of just like write like a, a bio or a couple paragraphs and say like, hey, I went to film school. I made all these awesome shorts and now I'm looking for this job, you know, for the PA gig. I, um, I think that what you are saying rings true for you and I, but I think I'm going to contradict you a tiny bit just in thinking it through a little more that there's a big difference between gigs, which is, I w- would say like you and I get high end gigs, but there's, you know, entry level gigs of like just PAing on a, a short film or something like that. And then there were jobs. And like if you wanted to get a job on a television show, the the resume isn't going to be super duper important, but you are going to have to have one. You do interview for those jobs the way that our parents interviewed for their jobs. Whereas I think because we're so gig oriented, we're pitching, we're sending people websites, they're looking at our IMDb and it's much less formal in a certain sense and much more formal in the same way that when you're pitching on your TV show right now, like you're spending days prepping for effectively the interview. But so I think, you know. Yeah, but there don't you feel like in Hollywood, and I we don't even know where Elijah lives. Oh, he lives in Los Angeles. Uh, in Hollywood specifically, there's the corporate side of things and there's the the production companies, you know, like the sawhorses or like the freelancers or like the person that are making indie films like you're doing right now. Right. If you want to be hired by Disney, you want to intern at CAA, you want to work for these big corporations yeah. like anywhere else in America. Yes. You got submit your resume. You look at job listings, job postings, LinkedIn, all that junk. You go into an interview, you tell them your experience and you hopefully get hired. Uh, right. And, and I guess that's the difference between a job and a gig. But I'm saying if you wanted to work at a late night talk show, you're it's closer to working for a corporation. Like yeah. a long or a long term. You want to work on Kimmel show. or something where it if is you pretty work much on Kimmel, a, cor- a corporation. Yeah. Yeah. Like any NBC Universal TV show. or ABC or yeah. Yeah, you're gonna have to have a resume. It, is it that gonna be the thing that gets you the job? Probably not. It's gonna be um that the coordinator on that show posted on Facebook in their Facebook group saying like, Hey, I'm looking for qualified PAs. Do you have any referrals? And then someone is going to put your name in the hat and yeah, throw your name in the hat. And then they'll be like, Oh, we know you from X, Y, Z and then interview you. The interview is going to be very important. So it sounds like Elijah is going to really be able to like shine in that circumstance. But yeah, I think, I guess all I'm saying is that there's a, there's a couple different versions of, getting jobs and work in Hollywood and you and I are very narrowly focused on one where resumes are basically unimportant but that doesn't that's not to say that there are other versions of that work that for sure it matters more you know yeah and that's why you listen to us because we specialize in non answers um (laughs) no but I'm saying no, I know. I, know. I I know. Gig, I'm just kidding. Gigs versus jobs, you know? Yeah, yeah. No. Resume can be important, cannot be important. But let's answer Elijah's other question, which is, does the gap matter? 
the 2016 mm-hmm. to 2020 gap. Like in my head, 2016 does not seem like that long ago, but I guess it's four years ago. Yeah. Like well, if you were I, to I hire. He left this voicemail. He left this voicemail in 2019. <laughs> okay. So three. Oh so, my goodness. Nine so months years. ago. Yeah. So yeah. three years past. Do you think like if you were to hire a DP and they didn't have a credit on IMDb since 2016, would that, uh, would that make you worried? Yeah, it would depend to me on IMDb is a limited part of the whole scope of things. You know, there's like stuff that doesn't get added until way later. There's commercials which aren't represented on IMDb. There's music videos that aren't represented on IMDb. You okay, know, so what if they also- told you they started their own skateboard company and now they're getting back into film? Like what if it was kind of definitive? Like, oh, the last three years I haven't really been working on film, but I'm mm-hmm. back in and I'm back in 100%. If their work was dope, it wouldn't bother me. I, you know, in doing this film, uh, you know, one crew member was like, yeah, I had to step away. And that person didn't explain why exactly, but it seemed like maybe it was like a personal thing. Like maybe they had to go home to like take care of a sick relative or something. I just got a sense of like, oh, it's a personal thing, but they didn't explain why they were out of the loop for a minute. And it wasn't an issue at all in the slightest bit because their work is solid. Yeah, I guess I'm like looking at my IMDb, which is, you know, what I do most of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, like my last feature credit is in 2013, which is seven years ago now. But to me, like I don't feel like I'd be any less qualified to pitch on a feature because my last feature credit was that long ago. But I think really like it's a little what bit about of- commercial? What about commercial credit though? Because features take a long time. And yeah. so, like, seven years in between features isn't crazy. Well, I think... But, like... Well, dude, you would... If if you heard... If you were a, an, an ad exec or something or a, at a production company and you're, like, trying to figure out who to sign and you're like, well, this... You know, she was directing a TV for the last five years and hasn't done commercials a lot, but she did commercials before that. I'm sure you'd have no hesitation to hire her to no do commercials again. No yeah. Problem. So I think maybe the answer that... I'm coming to Elijah is as long as you can sell that whatever you've done since 2016 has kind of helped you develop your voice. It's a little bit of a, a spin thing, but I, and I think Elijah is also saying like, should, you know, do I have to start at the bottom again with being a PA? And I think the answer is yes. Cause if the other option is writing and directing, well, you can try to yeah. apply for writing and directing gigs, but you just basically have to show them awesome things <laughs> uh, for yeah. that. So I, I always say it's like a you do both things at the same time, right? You're writing and you're directing things and you're showing them to people, hoping to get hired. And then to make money, you're like PAing and meeting the people that you can show your directing and writing work to on set or, you know, in offices or companies. Yeah, there's also just kind of thinking it through as well. I was a very serious writer director in college. I was too serious. I took things way too seriously. Everything was very high yeah. stakes. You're saying that like it's not true anymore. Sure. But oh, hold on. I'll get there. Um, <laughs> you seem pretty like, serious, okay? For a I comedy was director, you're that serious. I wasn't allowed. To, yeah, yeah. I take being silly very seriously. Um, I was I was mad that we weren't allowed to put our student films in, in film festivals at lower levels, all sorts of stuff like that. And so when I graduated, I thought like, oh, I'm ready to, to direct. And um, I wasn't, not, none of my student films were anywhere close to being ready to show to a single person. <laughs> like not a, not a film festival, not an entry level film festival, you know, it was not good enough. And so even if. Don't you feel I, like that's a good short film? Like about this film school student that's just so furious that they can't submit their movie to festivals because they know they're this like serious director and then. They're like, fine, submit your film. And then they just don't get in anywhere and have this big realization. I mean, that's why that rule exists. Because, like, unless you're a wonderkind, like, none of them are good. And that's the point of film school. So I think that's the other part of the question is, like, are you really ready to jump past something entry level and into a more something that requires more experience? is the other question you have to ask yourself and be honest with yourself. And also it's okay to like need to learn more. You know, like I think that sometimes film schools will 
make you believe that you are experienced enough to really jump into a field. And um, that's not always true. It's not always true. So sometimes it is. And some like if you were focused and, and really knew what you wanted to do and, you know, you can jump into it. But uh, for the most part, I think it takes people a little bit of time to kind of figure out what they're actually interested in outside of college. Yeah. Okay, Elijah. I hope <laughs> we've convinced you to stay out of the film business. Here's the thing, Elijah. We, he left that voicemail so long ago. Yeah. I'm sure, like, we're going to run into him at a pitch meeting, and he's going to pass on our ideas. <laughs> yeah. Elijah now runs Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Okay, what's our next question? Next question is from Jerry. Here we go. Ready? Hi, Matt Norn. My daughter and I have been begun listening to your podcast, and we're pretty hooked. We actually listen uh, while she puts in her hours practicing driving for her driver's license. So you can imagine us driving the cold, dark streets of rural Minnesota town while listening to your interviews. All of which leads me to my question. Maria has been accepted to three film schools, two regional Midwestern schools, and one just outside of L.A., and has invested a lot of her free time in the past few years developing ideas for TV series and writing TV scripts. She's read Save the Cat and The Hollywood Standard. Um, Sounds like a real go-getter. Sounds like a very serious film student. Mm -hmm. Um, I have been encouraging her to just shoot it, meaning why don't you grab a camera and make something? But she says she would need to hire actors and get lots of expensive equipment, a sound boom, microphone, stock sound effects, etc. I think she feels as if she can't do it well, she doesn't want to do it at all. I'm gently nudging her in the direction of just picking up a phone and a good camera and playing around with it, seeing what she can do with actors recruited on a volunteer basis from high school and colleges. Any thoughts or advice on this? Thank you for putting together your podcast. We're looking forward to digging through the archives. So, Jerry, what a wonderful, thoughtful dad. Yeah. What a cool dude. And Jerry is an author, um, too, by the way. I did some Googling. Oh, nice. Well, and uh, it sounds like Maria's got a bright future ahead of her and probably knows how to drive by, the, by now since it's been <laughs> a while since we've done uh, this stuff. Yeah, so she, she runs Netflix now. Um, yeah. No, I mean, look, the, I think this is a common thing, especially with younger, like, filmmakers, where you think, like, oh, well, I can't make a film because I don't have, like, a red camera or an Alexa or whatever, um, and I don't want to make anything that's crappy. And, I mean, you know... I. Unfortunately, you just have to make all that crappy stuff and get it out of your system. And if you're not going to spend any time just making crappy stuff, then the first big thing you do that you just raised 120 grand on Kickstarter for and then 40 grand from the rest of your family and putting your whole life into is probably going to be pretty crappy because you have like zero experience doing it. Yeah. So to me it's like aim for the crappy stuff aim for the no budget things do the iphone videos edit on you know imovie or a free copy of premiere trial copy or whatever and and this goes for i I know we have a lot of actors that listen to this podcast that are kind of like dabbling in filmmaking it just goes for everyone like you know you just have to go make stuff and eventually it will be good and a lot of times like your first or second thing will be exceptionally good and then your third fourth and fifth thing will suck (laughs) will suck badly and then your sixth thing will be like oh you know this is a legitimate thing so yeah i i would definitely agree with all of that certainly i would just take a phone and you could also if you really wanted to like get like some some phones have like those like lenses that you can swap so you can have a, a wide angle or a telephoto like you can like do some of that stuff but honestly it's not very important like just having your phone and then learning to edit i would recommend editing on premiere um that would be the one thing that i think is worthwhile investing in because that's a tool that even if you don't end up editing on premiere for the rest of your career all of those tools and systems and techniques that you pick up um, will translate in in some of those cheaper off-brand versions of editing software they're designed so differently that like it makes it a little hard to transfer into like i'm imovie versus premiere just start on premiere and there's tons of free tutorials and stuff but yeah just shoot it 100 percent. like i think if you like 
get people who are interested and are having fun because the first couple are going to have some big speed bumps for sure. Yeah. Like learning the fundamentals in a low cost environment is invaluable. And frankly, when you go to film school, the difference between the kids who have just run around with a camera for a summer or two and the ones that haven't is drastic. Yeah. Like knowing what you, what you're doing in that way, eventually it'll all equalize out, but getting logging some practice in is really essential. Yeah. And one of the most critical skills of a filmmaker and creative person, I think in any field is being able to ignore the self doubt, you know? And so kind of making the excuse of like not having good equipment or good microphones good cameras or good software is like you just coming up with reasons why you don't want to like put yourself out there i sent in response to jerry and maria i sent them this video snow brawl it was like uh, a commercial for the iphone 11 pro it was shot completely on the iphone 11 pro it looks incredible and i know the iphone 11 pro is a very expensive phone it's like a 1400 hundred dollar camera but I'm sure you know someone that has one and you could probably borrow it for an afternoon or you could just shoot it or on an iPhone 8 one. or a yeah. freaking Google phone, Pixel phone. Or even like a camcorder at this point. Like now, like having a camcorder with a directional mic and a zoom lens built into it, which is the stuff that like we learned on, those are so much more affordable now and have built-in hard drives and all of that stuff. So look, there's still like certain barriers to entry like depending on you know maybe you know someone with a smartphone maybe you have one maybe you don't Uh, i know a lot of libraries also have like a ton of cool like maker spaces now it's like a very big trend in like giving people the opportunity to have editing software and a computer that can handle it and all of that stuff so i think you know get resourceful but like being resourceful is part of filmmaking forever and so the sooner you jump in and build yourself some confidence, the better. My last thing I want to add is that use those limitations for, to your advantage. If all you can have access to is one actor in one location, write something around that location, mm-hmm. or around that actor. And if, if they're not a professional actor, figure out what they're good at and write to that, you know? Um, yeah, definitely right. Write to your resources. Okay, cool. Next question. I'm just knocking right, them down. We've got Daniel Centrone. Uh, He writes in saying that he has a question that he doesn't think we've covered. Um, We'll see. He said, for some background, he makes music videos and commercials. And he's kind of seen a big challenge jumping from music videos to commercials. But it looks like he's, he's managed to pull it off. But now he's looking to level up. And he's looking at being at a certain level, right? And knowing that he wants to go to the next level and work with a better production company and all that. But the issue that he's having is that he knows he needs to spec out some new spots, but doesn't have the cash for it. He's an editor by day and he can save some money and pull in some favors here and there. But when it comes to actually making something really cool and polished, it takes money. He can edit and sound design himself, but he still needs a nice camera package, genie package, production design, location, etc. What are your thoughts on ways to make this high-end spec pipe dream become a reality aside from saving up for years? It's really starting to feel like having some solid specs that truly reflect the type of projects he wants to make is holding him back and keeping him from reaching out to new companies. Uh, so what should he do? So Daniel Centrone, I actually had coffee with him. Oddly enough, he... Uh, I did a commercial for this company and the one of the producers there emailed me and they were like, hey, our editor, Daniel, loves your podcast. And I told him he should just meet you. And I had lunch with him and he is, I think, much more accomplished than his email might suggest. He, I checked out his website and his work and it's like pretty incredible. First of all, he's edited like big commercials with big celebrities and all sorts of cool things. And he's directed like awesome music videos. And so... You know, he he wants to know how he can pay to make some awesome spots. What's the answer, Matt? Yeah, I mean, it's a a really tough one because, Daniel, I understand completely where you're coming from. I think especially when I was younger and I was at USC, 
you know, this was back before digital cameras were good enough. And so there was a big delineation between the kids who could afford to shoot on film and would, you know, rent a camera and rent a bunch of film stock and then get it transferred over and then edit their stuff. And the kids who were using the school's cam- digital cameras, the PD-150s. And look, like USC is a crazy expensive school, so it's like an incredible privilege to even get to attend, to even like borrow the money to get to attend in the first place. But like you see early on the delineation between people who have enough money to really like put it into their careers early and the ones who don't. And so I think that you just have to be really resourceful, which is not a super fun answer, Daniel. I know it sounds dumb, and I know that you have already done so much incredible work and pulled so many favors, and but I think that the way to get some of those big specs going is to like write something that's really simple, write to your resources, like you, Oren, you were saying in the other example. So like what can you make look really cool? Do you have a location or something that can work really well? And I think the other thing is, is like, you know, Oren and I both came up doing a lot of branded content. Those weren't 30 second spots. They were long sketches and we figured out a way to cut them down and make them into thirties that then were appealing to commercial companies. So like that's another version of resourcefulness. So perhaps maybe some of your music videos you can recut into 30 seconds and they can be cool lifestyle pieces. Or perhaps you go in more of like a fashion lifestyle, docu-style sort of vein and like then you can just get a camera on ShareGrid and like, you know, a cool shooter and a cool model and then cut it together because you're a really good editor already. You know, like I think there are a few ways to do that sort of work that'll help you out. Yeah. I think, I think what's interesting about Daniel Centrone specifically is he's not at that place where he's just trying to get a job directing where he can do like an awesome short film with a few buddies, you know, in their apartment. He's like at that next level, like go to his website. He's done a plain white tease music video. I mean, he did a music video with Nipsey Hussle. He's got commercials for Powerade, G-Shock, Folgers, legit stuff but legit great work yeah yeah, yeah, i think what he's saying is like look i've done these things i've made the thousand dollar budget look like fifty thousand dollars i've pulled the favors i've shot in these cool locations i've done these cool music videos but if i want to do a commercial for the next call of duty game or if i want to do a commercial that's like just like a geico commercial it looks but it looks like it's on a big residential street and has big production value like that's how do i take my my work from that like lifestyle docu style thing to the to the next level to the like like few hundred thousand dollars budget commercial and i wish i knew the answer (laughs) yeah yeah it's pretty tough i i think also maybe some of that is is leveraging personal connections that you're editing for right like i think if you know these companies like or and if you're working at this company yeah. And like they do really awesome stuff, then I guarantee there are a few jobs that have come in. And maybe this is probably how you're booking some early work anyway. But like, I Daniel, think he told um, me that he did. He got like uh, yeah. some of these commercials, like Folgers, I think, is for the company that he edits for a lot. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, it's too small or everybody's busy. But Daniel's around, right? Which is how I got a couple early breaks as well. Yeah, and also him just reminding them, like, hey, don't forget I direct. Or, hey, if you don't have a director for that, can you consider me? Just remind people all the time that you direct. It's a, one of the hard part of our jobs because we want to be cool and humble, but also like, hey, by the way, I'm a director. It's tricky. But the other thing I would say, and I think it's true, budget and like production value of your work is it's important. But what's more important and what I've seen, even at that company where Daniel works, I've seen happen as someone will be like an executive there will be like oh man i saw this music video it was crazy it was like this no budget like all shot on iphones but it was so cool so interesting so whatever let's hire yeah. this person to do our next the cool big campaign. part is the thing the yeah. cool part is the thing and yeah. so if you made a plain white tease music video and someone loves the plain white tease that's looking for a director for a united airlines commercial or something you know they might consider you just because of that and you just have to like 
kind of throw those things in there. By the way, I did this thing. <clears throat> like I, I'm getting a lot of consideration for things because my reel is kind of weird, you know, and I think if I didn't have that reel and people just went to my website and just saw some commercials and like some trailers and things, I'd have less of you a chance. You wouldn't be as memorable. Yeah. yeah. So I think, yeah. I, I think find that... how you connect with the people that are hiring. Not And it's not, doesn't have to be because you made a million dollar commercial. Yeah, I think that also you're going to be in a funny spot that I think Oren and I are just sort of now barely climbing out of where there's a budget level where things actually are harder and worse in a funny way because all of a sudden you have enough money to pay people and things, but not enough to really pull off the million dollar spot that you're all hoping it's going to look like. Right. And so things are just sort of like a little crappy. And like, if everyone was just there, if it was just you and a camera and you could like take the time to make it look really great and the actor isn't super duper famous. And so you get more than two hours with them. You end up with a spot that people actually get excited by, you know, I've definitely got some pieces where it's like the budget was solid, but because it wasn't big enough to really accommodate a real full day of shooting with talent or a, like a crew that's really actually ample, you end up kind of in this middle ground. But um, yeah, or you see these like $150,000 commercials that have to be union for some reason and then they kind of feel like a $50,000 commercial. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Which, if you're not paying anyone, is like a $5,000 spec spot, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and I think the other thing, Daniel, is like, find some people who need editing help. Like, trade some favors. Oh, yeah. You know? Like, a- actors need great reels cut. I guarantee, like, if you're a good editor and it's clear that you are, like, and this goes for whatever skills people have, like, trading those out a little bit, I think will curry some favors and we'll definitely help you yeah and i guess if you're editing these big commercials and things you can buddy up with some of the directors and say hey or producers if you are shooting this thing on monday and you're renting the equipment on friday like what would it take for me to use it on saturday you know Mm -hmm. yeah try to do a little negotiating that way I think that's a great idea. I think it's going to come down to relationships with the production company. So if the production company is invested in you growing and like you can do some work for them that like makes them a little extra money while you're growing your career and your reel, I think that's another really powerful thing to do. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So that was our last question for the evening. Thank you, Daniel and Elijah and Jerry slash Maria. Uh, we hope we have uh, sufficiently confused you <laughs> with our answers. So on that note, shall we uh, endorse? Yeah. Unpaid endorsements. Okay. So I have some annoying tech techie software ones. Uh, basically, you know, I make a lot of treatments and I'm worrying about graphics and things all the time. And I like pull things off the internet. So First of all, I've been using this website called y2mate.com, y2mate.com to like download YouTube videos Mm -hmm. uh, because I download a ton of YouTube videos because I like to pull still frames and put them in my treatments and especially for commercials. And one of the first places I go to look for visuals and inspiration is YouTube. Uh, Y2mate, YouTube has definitely grown hip to all that stuff and a lot of videos will not even be downloadable. Like sometimes I'll be like, oh, you know, maybe I should just put in like a Taylor Swift song in the background. I'll go to a music video of hers and try to download it. And it'll be like, nope, this is copywritten. You can't download it. So I finally broke down and actually installed an app that downloads videos from YouTube. It's called 4K Video Downloader. And it's Mm -hmm. like totally legit. There's no malware that I'm aware of. It was like recommended by Wirecutter or TechRadar, like one of those like legit viewing sites. Yeah, yeah. It's free. And you just copy a link from YouTube and you paste it in there. And then it's like, would you like the 1080p version or ask you, you know, what version you want? And then you can just download it and you can edit it into things. You can make like a ripomatic out of it. Um, it's cool. That's so good. What's it called again? It's called 4K Video Downloader. And it's just an awesome. app and you run it and it just works uh, 
Awesome. And then, uh, yeah, so 4K video downloader. Next, and this is like real nerdy, but do you know what quick actions are on Mac OS? No. So when you right click on a file, usually like depending on what type of file it is in the finder, there sometimes there's quick actions. And I never really knew about these, but I've started making my own quick actions and they're little scripts that you can run. And I made two in the past week that are kind of game changers for me. One of them lets you click on any image file, right click and convert it into a JPEG, which is giant for me because I'm always doing screen captures and I have like this 5K iMac. So anytime I capture even like a small portion of my screen, I'm making like these gigantic PNG files, like four megabytes. So if I'm emailing a production designer or a costuming person or something, and I'm trying to send them a bunch of pictures, like my email becomes like 50 megabytes in no time and Gmail crashes and it's this whole giant thing. But now I can just screen capture these PNG files, right click on all of them and say convert to JPEG and it turns them into like normal size files. And all the new iPhones also shoot in this weird new picture format h-e-i-c is the extension i know and so you so try to annoying. pull that into premiere you try to pull into an email they're just like these weird files that don't work in half the things that you try to put them into pages they're weird so again you can just right click on them and convert to jpeg and um so if you want to find out how to set up your mac os to do that just like google quick action convert to jpeg and there'll be instructions. You have to run, use this program called Automator and write these scripts, but you can kind of just copy and paste things from the web. And so on that same note, because I'm pitching on this TV show, I'm pulling a lot of movies and TV shows down from the internet. Don't worry how, but a lot of times when you pull them, they end up as these files called, with the extension MKV. Are you familiar with those mm -hmm. files? Sure, yeah. Matreska? classic. Um, Matroska? Yeah. It's like, uh, that's what you... Uh... It, it's like a college era yeah like napster it's, it's like uh, napster era yeah exactly um but yeah, it's it's like for ripping yes um, like if you happen to find a website where people ripped a bunch of movies and you want to use them as references you can get these mkv files and they're usually really good quality like a two gig 1080p you know version of a movie or something but you can't pull them into premiere or final cut or avid or anything you can't edit them um so you have to like pull stills and export or you can convert them to other formats but let's say you've pulled 30 movies down and they're each like a gig and you can't like reconvert each one it, it's just such a pain but i found a trick of how to pull them into adobe premiere <laughs> and it's related to this quick action i pretty much made this script that you can right click on any of these mkv files and pretty much turn them into mp4 files using this oh, that's great this other utility called ffmpeg Anyway, Google Orange, all this you're stuff. You're giving me a headache. I know, but um, I'm just super excited because now I have like like 35 movies and TV shows that I've downloaded and I have them all in Premiere and I'm pulling clips from them and pulling still frames and pulling audio and it's all because of these quick actions. So You're just a kid in a candy store. I know this applies to almost no one that listens to the podcast, but I love it. And the last thing is I went to some meeting and someone was using like a Wacom tablet, you know, instead of a mouse, which I feel like sure. was kind of popular back in the day. And then people just stopped using them. But yeah, it, but I it, used to use one all the time. It was great. But, uh, it, you can use like an old tablet and I've just started watching these drawing tutorials on YouTube, like how to draw faces and things. And I just want to do more of my own storyboarding and it's just like really fun. So if you're looking for a hobby, that's not filmmaking, but related to filmmaking and will make you a better filmmaker, get a tablet and Photoshop and just start watching YouTube tutorials. You know, you could also uh, oh, draw on endorse paper. paper. Yeah, paper and a, and a pencil. Dude, paper is for cavemen. It's pretty dope, man. Pretty dope. <laughs> oh, In well, case you don't have a hundred to drop on your <laughs> Wacom tablet. But I will say what you can do with Photoshop is you can, if you want to do storyboards, and you've taken photos of things, you can like trace them in Photoshop. And then you just kind of get used to using the tablet. And mm -hmm. I don't know. It's cool. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I, I, I am all for people uh, learning to draw better. That's a thing that I. Um, yeah. For such a comic I book miss. guy, I would expect you would draw more. I used to draw all the time and I just kind of have fallen uh, out of love with it. But, um, but you're right. I should get back into it. Do I, it. I used to draw all the time. 
uh, maybe I'll uh, take you up on it. So my endorsement is uh, 1917 in a movie theater. Mm. We went to the matinee. We just like was like so burnt out. I just needed to like a break. Going to a movie theater, it feels like you know it's so rejuvenative. It's like it's a dark space. It's cool. Everyone's like quiet and respectful and excited and loves movies. And it really re-energized me in a way that I wasn't uh, expecting and didn't realize I needed. So going to movie theaters just in general, I'm always going to endorse. And also 1917 is something that's really worthwhile to see on the big screen with an audience. You know, there's so many visceral moments. It's not just the visuals, but it's like those moments of like human emotion or agony or, or joy not a ton of joy in that movie but you know <laughs> that it's really special to experience with an audience so um that's what my endorsement is yeah that movie is awesome and what i found so inspiring about it is that sam mendes wrote it even though he didn't consider himself to be a writer but he just made it and it's it's so simple in the storyline and so engaging at the same time which i think just gives all of us permission to like not overthink things yeah 100 percent you know what else I'm going to endorse? I think this might even be a double down. But the Oscars are coming up so soon. And The Farewell got snubbed. And uh, it, I think it's probably my favorite movie of the year. So go see The Farewell, everyone. The Farewell? I think it's out on video. Yeah. It's your favorite movie of the year? Yeah, I thought it was incredible. Okay, I guess I'll see it. Yeah, dude. I mean, I'm genuinely, I'm so bummed you didn't get to see it in theaters. Because it was like, I saw it with a packed group of people, like everyone was just so invested and so into it it was great it was really fun i went with my in-laws cool so like it's a pretty big spread age-wise there so i think it's for everybody but i was really disappointed that it didn't get a best director nomination i think that was um a glaring omission actually and i would say even more than i know people are mad about little women not getting a nomination and that was very well directed as well but the farewell is really special and i think people will remember it for a long time well some people disagree with you they're sending the cops to your house right now <laughs> um lulu wong was that the director uh lulu wang no i'm gonna i'm gonna see it i'm excited i like yeah it's it's wonderful I mean, those performances are also good yeah she's great like she's so like grounded and interesting but the whole cast is really incredible uh the woman who plays nai nai so good Cool. You just you can't help but think about your grandma. Yeah, um, love thinking about my grandma. Well, awesome, Oren. Another one for the books. Two by one. This episode was edited by Sarah Weirda. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And for everyone that emailed us about the producer position, we are still figuring it out. Uh, <laughs> Apologies. So your name might be in the end credits, even if you've never heard back from us. The music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar, with additional ad music from Musicbed. We will catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.